This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week we're taking another dive into the Scottish Football Museum archive by bringing you an interview with Gordon Wallace from 1999, as he gives us some of his best football memories. Before we get started, here's your weekly dose of trivia. How many major honours did Jim McLean win in his time as Dundee United manager? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. Born in 1943, Gordon Wallace started out playing youth football in his hometown of Dundee before going on to play for the likes of Montrose, Wraith Rovers, Dundee, Seattle Sounders and Dundee United. After hanging up his boots, he went into coaching with clubs like Wraith Rovers, Dundee, Dundee United and Dunfermline Athletic. Gordon achieved success with Dundee both as a player and a manager, winning the League Cup in 1973 as a player against Celtic at Hampden Park. He also won the Challenge Cup in 1990 as manager of Dundee, beating Air United 3-2 after extra time at Fir Park. At one time, Gordon held the record in Scotland for the most amount of league goals scored before Ali McCoyce went on to break that record. Gordon also won the Scottish Footballer of the Year award after scoring 30 goals in season 1967-68, becoming the first non-Old Firm player to be given this award by the Scottish press. Without further ado, here's Annie Maguire with Gordon. Um, can you tell me first of all where you were born and brought up? I was actually born in Dundee and brought up in Dundee. I've actually lived in Dundee all my days. And uh, what area of Dundee did you come uh, from? Just at the back of the crematorium. It was at that at that time it was called Blackshade. It was prefabs, uh, just after the war, and uh, they knocked them all down, and it became Adler. And they're actually knocking it down again. So it's how long I've been on the go uh, to put it in our newer houses. Right. And did your family come from Dundee? Yeah, well? everybody uh, has always belonged Dundee. Mm-hmm. So how did you first get involved in football as a youngster? I just started playing like every other kid in bits of spare ground and grassy parks. In these days, there were plenty of areas to play. You could play in the streets. Uh, we had a lot, of, but being prefabs, it was sort of there were sort of green green belt areas left. So we were always able to get a game of football somewhere. Mm-hmm. And what position did you start off playing in when you were young? Uh, it's a fascinating thing because I keep saying to people, probably because we just played, you never thought of positions uh, at that time and uh, I never played organised football until I went to primary school. I think I started playing when I was about nine in the primary school team. I actually played my first game for the primary school as a goalkeeper, right. would you believe? And then I just it was just a natural progression that I became a forward because I wanted to score goals and uh, nobody ever told me I was a forward I, I virtually picked that myself mm-hmm. and so um, by the time you actually started playing for a, a team um, had you already sort of learnt a lot of the basic skills of football? Possibly just learnt them myself I used to go to football every Saturday my dad took me to Dundee and one Saturday and I went to watch United the following Saturday with my uncle 
Um, so I was brought up in a football family in terms of, my father played, but not professionally or anything, but all my, everybody in the family seemed to play football and they were all interested in football. And uh, I used to just go every Saturday and I used to go to my granny's after it and all that was ever spoken about with the men was football. So I was brought up in that environment. But I more or less practised myself against walls and things like that. So I kind of coached myself when I was younger. And um, was there any players that you, you aspired to, to playing like at the time? Oh, my idol when I was a young kid was Alec Young, who played for Hearts. Uh, I just had a, a fascination for the way he played. I'd like to think there are a lot of similarities about the way I played, the way he played, you know. But uh, I didn't see him that often, because in these days, you, know, you, you couldn't watch it on the television. You know, you had to go and watch it. But I was forced. I used to go and watch Dundee and uh, Billy Steele played at that time. So, I mean... He was a good one to watch if you wanted to learn things. Mm -hmm. And what was it about Young that um, that made him your idol? I don't know. Just as a young kid, I, I just uh, just liked the way he played. Uh, the position he played was similar to where I played, and uh, just a lot of things that drew my attention to him. I don't know why, because when you're young, I mean, you think back, God, what made me go for that one, you know? And honestly, really. It was just one of those things, but he was my idol when I was a kid. And um, when when did you actually start playing uh, more organised football? Well, as I say, I mean, the great thing in these days was there was no... The only football you could play was at the school. And uh, I played in the school teams, obviously, uh, at primary. And then I moved to secondary school and I played in first, second and third year at that time. And I left school when I was, what, 15? And I, I actually played for an amateur team, but my dad was a great believer, even the way back in these days, that I should never play twice in one day. So a lot of kids played for the school in the morning, went and played for an amateur club in the afternoon. And my dad would not let me do that. He says, you make your choice, you play for one or the other. And I uh, ended up, I played for the school. But then when I was 15, I went and played for a boys club team called Lawside Rangers. And uh, that was probably my first organised football outside school football. So was your father quite active in your development then? Yeah, uh, he had a lot to say. He always used to come along and watch me. Uh, when I went, when I eventually started playing professionally, and uh, even junior, he used to come along every week and watch me. Didn't say much, but I always knew he was there. Mm -hmm. So uh, what junior side did you start to play for? Uh, well, when I left Lawside Rangers, I went to play for a team called Dundee North End, and I played junior football when I was 16 which when you think back is quite young to play juniors. But I was fortunate again there that there was a, a couple of older guys who looked after me. Mm -hmm. Were you the, the youngest person in the team? Is that quite unusual then to be 16? Uh, I, there were two of us that were 16. There was a guy who played in the same amateur team, me as Ian Sharp, and another guy, Kenny Cullen, who played at school. We all played in the same school, the Dundee schoolboy team together. Uh, we were all there together. I might have been the youngest. Uh, but uh, I think I possibly was. So how long did you play for them? I was there for two years. Uh, when I was at Dundee uh, North End, I signed for Dundee, uh, the senior team. As a, you know, we used to do it as a provisional signing, they called it in these days. But I just continued playing for the junior team. I uh, played a couple of reserve games. Mm -hmm. 
And did you have much contact with um, Dundee as a club? Yeah, I used to go in and train uh, like the pre-season because at that time uh, I got like I just left school, so I had a lot of spare time in the summer. But then when I got a job and I became an apprentice, it was difficult. And the only time I could get in was like maybe a fortnight, uh, which I had off my holidays, you know. So what um, apprenticeship was it that you did? I was an electrical fitter. So I went to work in a factory for five years. uh, And then I worked, I served my time as an electrical fitter. And I think it was about another two or three years into my trade when I went full time. And was that, um, had you had the chance to go full-time before? Well, when I was at uh, North End, I had the chance to sign for Leeds United or Dundee. I went down to Leeds for a trial and played in games with Billy Bremner, uh, people like that. But my dad said to me that I had to serve my apprenticeship. And uh, to be fair, at that time, uh, looking back, I, mean, I don't know if I made the right decision, but uh, it, was his, it was his decision and I went along with it. And I don't regret it. Mm-hmm. And was that to have the, the assurance of having a backup? Well, he was always a great believer Then if football didn't work out, you should have something else. You have another string to your bow. And uh, at that time, everybody had a trade. Everybody served an apprenticeship of some description, be it a joiner, a painter, whatever. And you could get jobs, in fairness. You know, I mean, people, when, you, when I left school, virtually everybody that left school when we got a job you know nowadays it's frightening you know that kids don't get an opportunity you know if they waste the opportunity then that's different but they should get an opportunity when they leave school mm-hmm. but we were lucky you know in these days you could get one and so um, you played for North End for two years what happened now at the end of the two years Dundee decided they didn't think I was good enough and they released me and it was, I suppose at the time, I was upset. I mean, I was just, because I had, I mean, obviously, great ambitions to be a footballer. But then I decided, well, I better change. So I decided to change my junior club as well as, you know, thing. and I went and played for another team called the Aileth United. And uh, I was there just over a year when I signed for Montrose. So who was it at Montrose that had approached you? Brought you in? Uh, I'd played trials for various teams to be honest. I went to play at Aileth, it's just like a village outside Dundee, and uh, I'd, I'd actually trials for Forth and Breaking. And though they'd played, they always said they were interested and they never came back. And I was even uh, asked to go along to Ray Throwers, but I couldn't manage. And um, Montrose came along and asked me, we played Montrose in a sort of friendly, and they said to me, would you come and sign? when your team's out of the Junior Cup and I said yeah so about a month later we were knocked out of the Junior Cup so I signed for Montrose And what was Montrose like as a club at that point? Actually very good for me uh, the manager Norman Christie was a, a brilliant help to me he uh, was way ahead of his time he'd been to Lars to the coaching school oh, way back before I mean it was known then it's a big thing now but these days there were very few people who had been to Lars but he was one of the few he was also a qualified physiotherapist so he had a lot of uh, good ideas in the development of your you know, how to develop your bodies and things like that so I was fortunate with him and there was no pressure because uh, there were the two divisions uh, not like now where you've got four uh, there was never any pressure on you and you were allowed to learn you know? so it was good for me 
And when you say that he'd been in the, the coaching course, how did that manifest itself? Was he interested in tactics? And he was actually. It was tactics. <laughs> tactics at that time were just coming into it. I mean, it was just you were just at the change of the the systems, you know. I mean, that would be what early sixties. I mean, that's before Alf Ramsey and things like that. And and he was he was starting to go into tactics, but he was good on the coaching side of it. Different aspects of how to play and things involved, and you know, as a striker or as a midfield player, what he wanted you to do, what positions he wanted you to. I mean, in some of his sayings, have stuck with me through all my managerial and coach thing. I mean, it was very basic at the time, but what he said then still applies now. So it was quite simple things. Yeah, well, he used to always say to me as a as a forward, never be in the box before the ball. And I mean, it's a quite a basic, simple thing. Is if you go in the box, somebody will stand beside you. If you don't stand outside the box, there's always space to run into. And it's basically a simple thing. But uh, that he was, you know, and as long as you pick it up and know what he's talking about, then it's great. It was good for me, and it's I've stood by these principles all my days, and they've worked for me, and I don't see why they don't work for other people. Mm-hmm. And so were you successful at Montrose? Not as a club, no. I wouldn't say we were successful. We had a couple of cup runs and things like that. And one year we were up near the top of the league, which for then for Montrose was a great thing. But what he did was he he got players like myself and younger players and they sold them on for money, you know, and Montrose made money at the time. Uh, during my time there was about, must be about four or five of us moved up the way for money. So as far as Matos were concerned, it was good for them. That's what it was about at that time, bringing money into the club. So who were the other players at that time? Yeah, uh, the boy Malcolm Slater. And there was Jim and Bobby, Jimmy and Bobby Kemp, uh, myself, and then George Faulkner and people like that. So how would you say you developed in your your four years? I learned a lot about the game, and uh, without ever being put to the sword you might say to the test and then when I moved to Wraith Rovers it became the winning aspect of the game which I had, I had been brought up to learn the game rather than having to win all the time it wasn't though you wanted to win it wasn't a life and death policy you know I mean it was you could go out and play knowing that if you got beat you I mean you never get relegated or things like that because there was only the two leagues at the time so there was no pressure on you that way the pressure was on yourself how much you wanted to win yourself and I mean I always liked to win. I was the grumpiest person in the world on a team, so uh, it's, it's a natural thing with me, but it wasn't the end of the earth if you didn't win. Mm-hmm. So how did the move to Wraith Rovers come about? Well, it's, uh, somebody just... One of those things I'd been asked if I was interested in going to Wraith Rovers, and Wraith Rovers obviously approached the Montrose board with a fee, and they couldn't agree, and... Obviously, I was disappointed because I I seen it as a step forward for me. But to be fair to Montrose, they uh, they eventually agreed a fee and allowed me to go because they didn't. Again, in these days, they didn't want to stay in your no way because Montrose were going for uh, sorry, Wraith Rovers were going for promotion to the now well, the old first division, and uh, I wanted to be part of it. And eventually, they let me go. Mm-hmm. So, what um, did you notice about? The differences between Wraith Rovers and Montrose in terms of the scale of the club was there much? Well, at that time, to be fair, Wraith Rovers were part time as well, and that was just um, Wraith Rovers at that time were beginning to get players together. And um, but the, the difference was the total ruthlessness about wanting to be promoted 
I wanted to be up there. And the manager, George Farham, was very, very ambitious, very, very ruthless in the way he went about things. But for me, having been in the other environment, coming to this environment was just exactly what I needed, and it was good for me. And so did that actually change the way that you played? Not really, but it gave me a really a more professional approach to the game in terms that it became where before it was all about learning and wanting to be a player, it became winning was more important than that and it was about winning all the time. And to be fair, Wraith Rovers got promoted and uh, George Farham did he join. I was fortunate we, he had good players, he had people like Ian Porterfield, Paddy Gardner. So, I mean, I was very lucky in that had them and as I say we got promoted the following season George Farham left to go to Dunfermline uh, to be the manager there and Tommy Walker took over and we went full time so I'd got my ambition as well, I was back full time as a footballer mm -hmm. So how did um, what kind of style of play would you say that the team played at that time? Basically most teams all played 4-2-4 they all played with two wingers and two strikers and if you play as a forward, that's a great thing if you have wider players. Because if people get wider players and get crosses into the box, then you have a great chance of scoring. So it suited me. Mm -hmm. And what were the differences um, between Tommy Walker and George Farm in terms of their style of management? <laughs> Night and day. Uh, George Farm, as I say, was totally ruthless, out-and-out winner. Tommy Walker was a total gentleman. You couldn't meet a nicer person in this world than Tommy Walker. A uh, really nice person. Nice manner, never get angry. Uh, just a really nice person. George Farham, to me, was the other way. A lot of folk didn't like George Farham, but I must admit, I have the greatest admiration for him because it, he was exactly what I needed at that time. And for me, it was great. And any time I see him, I, I still speak, get a chance to speak to him. To me, it just, you know, he was great for me. Mm -hmm. And so how did you slot into the team when you first went? Did you, did you find it quite easy to start playing? When I went to Wraith Rovers, yeah, I found it easy. And the following season, when we went full-time, uh, I kind of got moved about a bit and decided that uh, Tommy Walker decided I could play in other positions, which I didn't think I could, but um, I'd rather play than no play at all, so I decided to play in them. And I mean, I learned a fair bit about it, you know. He started to be playing me as a wide player and things like that, which I'm not. And uh, it was good for me because it gave me an, an idea of what other people played. But uh, I always wanted to be a centre forward. And eventually, when he put me back in there, he probably he learned a lot from it as well because I had a good uh, good run of form. Was that season six to seven to eight? Yeah, that was a year, and I ended up scoring like 30 goals that season. Mm -hmm. So when you think on it, and I look back on it now, at the time I never thought much of it, I just thought oh, I've been fortunate, I've scored a few goals. But when I look back on it now, I think Ray Thor's only scored something like 50 goals, just over 50 goals that season, and I scored 30 of them. Mm -hmm. And when you think of that, again, teams like Rangers and Celtic and people like that, I mean, I virtually mean without boasting, I've actually carried them single-handed, you know. And was it, um, were they involved in a relegation battle? They were, yeah, and all the results we had took us out of it. I remember thinking that Christmas wore a certainty to go down and I had gone full-time. And uh, by, I think, well, about three or four games to go, we were clear. We didn't need to worry about the results in the last three or four games. We knew we were still there which was a remarkable achievement in that space of time. 
you were voted the, the player of the year in the 6 to 78 season um, and you were the first non-old firm player to be awarded it as well. Yeah, it's a thing that had just started. I didn't realise at the time because the player of the year in Scotland used to be voted by one of the newspapers. I think it was the Sunday Mail, I'm not sure. And um, there'd only been like Ronnie Simpson, John Gregg, and Billy McNeil had won it before I won it. But I mean, now it's been going all these years. It's it's only now when I look back that I realise how lucky I was to have won it. Um, it's uh, I mean, some of you look at the names on it, it's like a who's who of Scottish football. Uh, so it's just nice to be to think that I'm up there among them. Mm-hmm. And was it something, um, did it just come completely out of the blue for you? Or? It did really, because as, as I say, it was a new thing at that time and I never thought anything of it. And uh, somebody came into the park one morning and said, you've won player of the year. And I had no clue what it was. And it was only then when people explained to me. But to be fair, people like John Gregg and Billy McNeil sent me telegrams the next day and I realised then how important it was. So what did the, the award actually involve? Was there a dinner? or? Yeah, there's a dinner every year held in Glasgow uh, and it's sold uh, every member of the press gets a vote. I think now they get a couple of votes. It's a different system now, the way they do it. But at that time, they were all given a vote and they, they all choose their, who they think is the player of the year. Uh, the year before, obviously, was the year Celtic had won everything. So I think Billy McNeil had won it. And uh, I was just delighted. I mean to go to the dinner and uh, it just I mean, it was fascinating you know because it was the first time I'd been involved at anything at that level And what had it been like playing against teams like because Celtic were the European champions and Rangers had got to the final of a European competition so what was it like playing against it was teams? Uh, it was never easy uh, I think that year to give you an idea how well Wraith Rovers done just about Christmas Rangers beat us 10-2 at Ibrox I mean, nowadays nobody ever gets. I mean, you think Celtic beat Aberdeen another day? They're seven nothing. You know, I mean, we get beat ten two at Ibrox, and I think the following week we get beat four nothing at Dundee. You know, I mean, we were the whipping boys at that stage, and uh, obviously that season it's fascinating. That season, Rangers actually went to the last game of the season undefeated, and went through their whole league campaign until the last game without ever losing a game and still never won the league and uh, it gives you an idea how good Celtic were I mean the Celtic team with the uh, 67 that era the European Cup is as good a side as I've ever seen So how did that change things for you winning the player of the year? Well it certainly gave me a higher profile uh, being at Wraith Rovers uh, obviously it didn't make it easy for me because everybody was looking for me after that and uh, the next season I must admit I found it difficult, obviously, because I mean, people, because I'd scored so many goals, were obviously looking for me, and uh, it was difficult for me. But uh, Wraith Rovers again that year uh, managed to avoid relegation, which at that time was a not like it was like now, you know. I mean, that was a great achievement at that time for Wraith Rovers. But then I was getting frustrated because I felt I could do better, and uh, towards the end of that season. Uh, I was obviously thinking about, you know, I'd like to maybe move somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, was there any other clubs that came in for you? Yeah, there were clubs sniffed around for a long, long time. Clubs in England and places like that were always interested and made inquiries, but nothing concrete ever came out of it. Uh, the start of the next season, um, 
I got told that Dundee were interested and then eventually I was told that I could go and speak to them. Mm-hmm. And so was it um, very much a case of if a club was interested, um, they wouldn't actually directly approach you, did they? No, they didn't directly. The club never approached me. I, I just get told to the media that uh, there'd been a move and I went and spoke to the manager and, to be fair, he told me that Dundee had made an inquiry but they would uh, sort it out. And I think at that time, Raythrowers, in particular, uh, Jimmy Miller was then the manager. He took over halfway through the, the previous season and he was looking to get his known players in. He wanted to change things around because, I mean, to be fair, Raythrowers were always struggling. And uh, they decided to sell me uh, so he could get some money and hopefully go and get some other players in. And so were you quite happy to go to Dundee? Then? Yeah, I was pleased to go to Dundee. It was a step in the right direction. It was a step up the way. I didn't have to worry about relegation too often with Dundee. I could look at a team that uh, looked as though wouldn't wouldn't win the league at that time, but it certainly could win a few trophies, and uh, I was quite happy to go there. Mm-hmm. Plus, it was, I moved back to Dundee. I was travelling every day to Kirkcaldy, so uh, it was perfect for me. I didn't have to move house and... I was quite happy. Can you remember your debut for them? Aye, get beat from United. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, get beat from Dundee United 2-1, but I scored. And uh, I remember missing a chance just after I scored, and then United went up the park and won 2-1. Uh, so I can remember it quite well. And uh, who were the other key players in the side when you joined? Well, when I joined them, uh, Jockey Scott, who I became very friendly with, um, then Bobby Wilson, Dougie Houston, uh, eventually they, they accumulated a pool of players that, when I look back, were as good a pool of players out with the old firm as you're likely to get. And uh, I would say now, looking back on my days at Dundee, though we won the League Cup, I still think we should have won more. Mm-hmm. There was a number of semi-finals, wasn't there, when yeah. we met Celtic? Well, we were unfortunate in that uh, I think Four out of the five years I was at Dundee, we drew Celtic in the semi-final. And, as you know, Celtic at that time were a, a really good side and we never ever seemed to do... Well, we was always close, but we never really done what we should have done in the semi-final. And that's always a letdown. Mm-hmm. So do you think the, the team actually deserved to win more than it did? Yeah. I would have thought, looking back at that team and the standard of player we had, was capable of doing better and uh, you, obviously it was our own fault so you, you can't blame anybody else but yeah we should have done we should have done better if you look at the good good players we had. Mm-hmm. And what was it like making the step up from Wraith Rovers to Dundee? What was the, the differences in the club? Just better players, uh, better players working at a higher level and uh, a different style and just after when I'd only been at Dundee what one season and Jim McLean took over as coach and obviously he was he wanted the standard of fitness up as well so it was harder. Mm-hmm. It became harder. And what was the, the training like at Dundee then? When he took over very hard, uh, very much into the running side and the athletic side of the game. He believed in that you could be fit and organised if you were nothing else and uh, we were certainly fit and organised and, and a good level of skill and uh, I mean we eventually proved that but so uh, it was good from that point of view. Mm-hmm. So um, that's quite surprising you know, when you consider the, 
sort of the tactician that Jim McLean is, is known as, that you say that his emphasis was on fitness? And I think in his early days, uh, his emphasis was on fitness. I think most people at that time realised that. I mean, players, you've got to remember, way back in these days, players used to come back from pre-season, for pre-season training, something like, someone would be between half a stone and a stone overweight, which is really, I mean, when you think back, it's shocking, you know, that people allow themselves to get out of that kind of condition. So for two weeks, it was just solid running. you never seen a ball. And then you went on to ball work and you progressed after that. But I mean, really, nowadays, people come back for pre-season training two weeks in advance, you know I mean, the two weeks that we had to do with the running has been pushed to the side now, you don't need that now because you can get into ball working and into physical stuff right away so, I mean, that it's just a progression of time but again, the, the close season was a lot longer, I mean, you used to finish at the beginning of April and not start till August, that was April, May, June so you're about three months off mm-hmm. you know, so uh, that's changed as well. I mean, the, the close seasons now are only something like five, six weeks, so you don't have time to deteriorate, you know. So it, it's a changed game, but at that time, yeah, the pre-season was I mean, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you, you formed a striking partnership with Jockey Scott. What was the basis of that? It's We actually were very good friends before I went to Dundee. Uh, through both their wives were at school together. So I knew Jockey Scott uh, when I was at Wraith Rovers and we used to go out together and we, we used to talk about football and things like that. So going going to Dundee was like, you know, just meeting up with an old pal. And uh, well, right away the two of us seemed to be on the same wavelength. We knew exactly what each other were doing. We We just had this telepathy or whatever you want to call it that I knew where he was he knew where I was and we had a great understanding and plus the fact that we were really friendly off the park and still friendly to this day eh, helped because you know it's easier when you're playing with a pal it's far easier than playing with somebody you've just met and what was um, Dave Prentice was the manager when you went? John Prentice John Prentice, John Prentice was uh, a really good tactician uh, very, very clever person, uh, a bit laid back, but knew what he was about. And when he brought Jim McLean to the, the club, who was more forward thinking and more, you know, outspoken and things like that, it's probably the, the best blend you could have between a manager and an assistant manager. Though it's normal that the manager has more to say than the assistant manager, but at that time, uh, it was good. It was really, I mean, the players really enjoyed the training. Uh, most of the players at Dundee were thinkers. They, they all had a good idea what they were doing. And uh, it was a good club to be at at the time. Uh, a lot of good thinking players, a lot of good players, hard training, and we were as good a side as any. And what was the week form like um, while you were at Dundee? I think Dundee uh, that year... I mean, most years when I was at Dundee, we were always in semi-finals, League Cups or Scottish Cups. And we were always in, what, top six or, at that time, say, top six or eight. I mean, the league was, what, 18 teams at that time. And I think they were all full-time. So we were always in the top half of the league, and uh, though we never really challenged for the league, we were always close enough uh, to be up challenging for trophies. Um, 
and so what, what were the most memorable games that you can remember playing for Dundee? My most memorable game, obviously there are a lot of good games I played in, you know, different times and different games, but the most memorable, obviously, the year we were in Europe, and uh, we beat uh, a Danish team in the first round, and then had a remarkable result against Cologne in Germany in the, the next round, where we were something like 4-2 down with about maybe 15 minutes to go, and come back and won 5-4. And in the next round we played AC Milan, and we played in the San Siro Stadium. So having played there and against AC Milan was a great thing. Uh, the game we got beat three nothing in Milan, and I thought we were. It was a bit unlucky the scoreline in that if we'd have been beat maybe one, one nothing, two nothing would have been a fair result. But we got we ended up losing a couple of silly goals at the death and three nothing. And when we come back to Dundee, we beat Milan two nothing, and I scored in that game and to score. To say now that I've scored against AC Milan is uh, a nice wee feather in your cap, you know. And uh, no, and we played very well that night, so that was also very pleasing. But again, it's one of those things. Dundee on the night were capable of doing that against anybody, and we proved it that night against AC Milan. But then we let ourselves down maybe a wee bit in Milan that we should have done better. And what was it like after the, the game against Cologne? Because Dundee had previously had a famous win against Cologne. Yeah, well, that's well, probably it. I mean, folk remembered that, and they went along that night. We were only getting beat 2-1 uh, from the first leg, and it was a last-minute goal in Cologne. Um, and we come back, and we scored right away to make it 2-2, and we must have thought we were doing all right, and then, as usual, the Germans hit us twice, and we suddenly found ourselves 2-1 down uh, from both legs. So we just threw everything at them in the last quarter of an hour and it was one of those nights where everything came off for us and we eventually won the game. I don't think the Germans could believe it, that we'd actually won the game because they thought they were through at that time. Mm -hmm. And so what other games can you remember? Um... Oh, there's lots of individual games. I can remember a local derby with Dundee United that finished 6-4 for Dundee. Now, you don't get these kind of results, you know. And... Uh, been games like that and other ones the year Dundee went to the final of the cup I was injured at the time but I was just coming back from the injury Dundee went to Rangers and won 3 nothing on a Sunday there were 63,000 Rangers supporters there and Dundee beat them 3 nothing at Ibrox that type of thing was probably typical of Dundee that they could go to places like that and win mm -hmm. comfortably at times mm -hmm. and then you obviously got to the, the League Cup final against Celtic as well. What do you remember of the conditions on that day? It was a terrible day. Uh, it had been really cold. It was January. It was during the power crisis and uh, the kickoff was like half past one at Hamden because you weren't allowed to use the floodlights. And uh, But they'd been playing on Sundays and things because to try and avoid uh, using up all the electricity. Sundays thought to be a quiet day because all the factories are closed and things so uh, that season we'd been playing and we to be honest we'd we'd struggled the way through we'd won World League Cup section and then we'd beat a couple of teams I think it was Clyde and Dunfermline and then we got a semi-final draw against Kilmarnock at Hamden who Kilmarnock at that time were actually in the second division and to be honest we struggled to beat them but eventually we beat them one nothing and we got to the final and everybody was obviously looking forward to the final that season as I said I had been injured 
I didn't realise it at the time, but in the quarter-final against Benfermline, I'd actually chipped my ankle bone. And uh, they thought it was OK if I rest. They thought it was just a kick on the ankle. So I rested it for a couple of weeks, came back and got a real pain. And what it was was a little bit of bone was floating about in the ankle. So that again, I had another layoff and I missed all the games. I missed the semi-final against Kilmarnock. I missed a lot of league games. And I think they were the Wednesday, Tuesday the Wednesday before the cup final, there was a reserve game and I played in that and I felt a bit of pain and uh, but to be honest I thought oh, it's a cup final, I need to play in it. But I got myself through it and I told them I was fit to play. And then on the day of the game, as I say, when we were reported to the park, we never went away, we just went straight down from Dundee. We were going down for a pre-match meal and it was absolutely bucketing down, sleet, snow, rain, you name it. It came down. We had a lot of difficulties getting to the hotel. We were actually late getting to the hotel for our pre-match meal. And there was doubt about the game. Folk were saying that there's a pitch inspection. We'll need to wait and see what happens. But we decided just to go ahead with everything and go across to Hamden. Uh, when we got to Hamden, they had boards across the 18-yard box to protect the frost. Didn't have undersaw heating at that time. And uh, the referee decided that the game, he felt that the game could go ahead. And uh, to be fair, I, I never thought the pitch was that bad. I must admit, I thought the pitch was a reasonable condition. It was wet, but then at that time, you never played on perfect conditions in Scotland. And uh, the game went ahead. And I think it possibly worked in our favour and that people were so busy worrying about whether the game was going on, you didn't have time to think about Celtic. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe worked for us rather than against us. And was there a, an added edge to the fact that you were playing Celtic as well, given well, they defeated you? We'd always, there's always an added edge when you play Celtic <laughs> in these days. There's still an added edge when you play them now. Uh, obviously because we'd been beating a few semi-finals, and this time we were in a final, but... Maybe you're more relaxed in a final and the fact that you're actually there. I mean, semi-finals are probably the worst time to go out of cups because you're so close and yet so far. Nobody remembers semi-finals. At least folk tend to remember who got beaten in the final, but you don't tend to remember who got beaten in the semi-final. So it's a hard time to go out of cup because you feel you're so close and yet you're so far away from it. So maybe that helped as well. And here we are, we're in a final, go out, give it our best shot and see what happens. And to be fair, on the day, I thought we deserved to win. And what do you remember of the, the winning goal that you scored? It's funny, you know, folks say to me, you know, about it, and I've since watched it on video. Uh, it took me a long time to get it, by the way, but uh, eventually I managed to get hold of it on a videotape and I've kept it in the house uh, for my kids. And I just remember it was a free kick at the halfway line and Bobby Wilson went to take it. And we had a few big players like George Stewart and John Duncan. So obviously Billy McNeil and people like that picked up the big ones. And I remember I was being marked with Pat McCluskey, I think it was. And the free kick came on and went over the head of the John Duncan and Billy McNeil. And as the ball travelled in, and it, honestly, it's one of those spontaneous things. It was coming over, Pat, and I could see that Pat McCluskey was actually missing it. And I just decided to catch it on my chest. And as I got to the ground, I hit it. And it, it's just one of those things that flash in your mind in a split second. Folk will say, did you mean it? And all the rest of it. Until the ball, I seen the ball coming over his head. I hadn't a clue what I was going to do. I was probably going to just head it down into the penalty box. But 
minute I seen him miss it, I knew I could control it. And it's one of those, just a reaction thing. I mean, I watch Ali McCoy's and people say, how does he do it? You, you don't teach that. that. That's something you're born with. And uh, I was just fortunate I had that as well. So, yeah, it was a good goal. Mm-hmm. And what do you remember of the, the celebrations afterwards? I just remember the last minute Jimmy Johnson ran into the penalty box and there was a claim for a penalty and I thought, oh, no. And the referee didn't give it. And uh, about another 30 seconds or so, the final whistle went. And it was just a relief to the fact I'd actually won a medal. Because it was the first one, in fact, the only one in my career in terms of winning, uh, playing. And I thought, you know, magnificent. You know, I've actually won a thing. And I've done the schoolboy's dream, is to score the winning goal in the cup final at Hamden. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just delighted. And uh, Tommy Gamble was involved in that? Yeah, well, he helped as well because he'd come from Celtic at that time and Tommy had that... uh, I mean, he had that confidence, that inner confidence that he'd had at Celtic and that helped in the team as well. That certainly gave us a boost as well. And you said um, you you were injured um, for part of that season. Did yeah. you suffer any other injuries? Well, what happened you? after that was the next week I played against Motherwell in a league game. Um, after we won the League Cup and after the game and I was in sheer agony my whole body was in agony and uh, they actually they actually my ankle again and found out that the bone was still floating about and I was out after that I then didn't play again oh, for ages two months or something and when I came back Dundee were on their cup run they beat Aberdeen at Aberdeen they beat Rangers at Ibrox they beat they drew with Hibs at Easter Road and then beat them at Dens and we're in the semi-final and guess who against <laughs> and we got beat from Celtic one nothing. and I was I was only really coming back to play about that stage mm-hmm. so that, I'd missed that part I'd just got over that season and in the beginning of the next season two days before the season started I broke my leg Right, and what was that the Premier League season or was no, that? The no, that was still the first, the first division. I broke my leg uh, on the Thursday before the season started, on the Friday, on the Saturday, and uh, that was a blow because I broke it in a practice match, and it was a, a clean break. Uh, I remember sitting looking at the the X-ray. The guy put the X-ray up in the hospital, and it was just like he drew a line across the bone, not just a dark pencil line across the bone. And I knew it was a clean break. Fortunately, because it was a clean break, I didn't experience any difficulties. And I was back playing, and uh, was back playing the reserves in December, and I was back in the first team for I think over the New Year period. Mm-hmm. So it was quite quick. And so the the following season then was that the the introduction of the Premier League? Seventy five. 75-76 was the pre- first league of the Premier League, yeah, it must have been. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Dundee were relegated after Well, the Dundee were relegated the first year in the Premier League, that was my last year at Dundee. Um, I was top goal scorer and I got... Uh, they decided that they wanted to uh, change things around because they got relegated, I was getting older. So they released myself and Bobby Wilson and I think George Stewart was transferred. They got rid of a few players and uh, I went away to America. Mm-hmm. 
to play there. And why do you think um, they were relegated? Why was it that the team performed badly? I don't think the team performed that badly. I mean, if you look at the relegation that year, St Johnson were isolated at the bottom of the league. You were down to ten teams then. The next three teams finished on exactly the same points. Aberdeen, Dundee United and Dundee. Now, I mean, Aberdeen finished, what would that be? Aberdeen finished seventh in the league, but they were only stayed up by goal difference. And we get relegated. You know, I mean, I don't think that's performing that badly. I think that's a case of uh, the league being absolutely cutthroat. I mean, when there's three teams of that standard, and within three years, Dundee, and, Dundee United and Aberdeen were two of the best teams in Scotland. Now, they finished on exactly the same points as Dundee that season. So I don't think they finished. I don't think they played that badly. I think it just that the Premier League at that time was total cutthroat. So do you think that was a bad move in general for Scottish football? The I thought the two up and two down out of ten, where you lose twenty percent of your team, I think that's far too much. I think that that does not lead, and I think it's been proved since. It does not lead to giving people security in their minds. It, you're up against it all the time, thinking you're going to lose your job. And when you're going to lose your job, you don't get people relaxed, you don't get them playing good football. And I think the Premier League went that way for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Relegation was a bad, bad thing in the Premier League. They tried to sort it out and go to 12 teams, but then you've got too many games. They're now trying to sort it out a different way. Who knows what the right formula is? It's, uh, but it certainly doesn't. It's certainly not helped the game in general because it's been far too much cut and thrust, far too much pressure on teams at the bottom half of the league. I mean, you've got Aberdeen just now. I mean, the pressure on Aberdeen's frightening just now because of where they are, and that's crazy. Uh, you've then got you can't uh, blood young players because you're frightened. You need a result. It's all the wrong things, you know. We're sending out all the wrong signals. So, how did the move to America come about? Through a friend, uh, Jimmy Gabriel. When I was at Dundee North End, uh, way back when I was 16, Jimmy Gabriel had been there the year before and went to Dundee and had known him. And he became the coach of uh, Seattle Sounders. So, he asked myself and Jockey Scott to go out because he knew both of us. Uh, Jockey couldn't go, he was at Aberdeen at the time, they wouldn't let him, uh, but Dundee let me go, and uh, so I went out that year. The following year, I couldn't go back out because my wife was having my wee boy, Gordon, and uh, Jockey went out, and the final year the both of us went out, <laughs> so eventually we did play together in America. So. It was it was a great experience. America, America proved to me at the wrong age, possibly how good a player I was. Mm. I realised playing with some of the best players in England and well, all over the world, that I should have done better in my career when I was at school. And so, what players were you playing with then? Well, I played well in the team I played with. I played with Jeff Hurst, Bobby Moore, Harry Redknapp, Mike England. Jimmy Robertson, who were all near enough international, other than Harry Redknapp, they were all international players. And teams I played against, I played against Beckenbauer, Pelly was playing at that time, unfortunately I never played against Pelly. And George Best, Johan Crowe, 
Carlos Alberto. I mean, all the best players in the world were there. The last game I played in America uh, in 1978, Bobby Moore, Carlos Alberto and Franz Beckenbauer all played three World Cup captains on the park. So, I mean, that's the kind of standard you were playing in, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But unfortunately for me, I was at the wrong time of my career, I was at the end. So, um, did you find you were personally successful then? Did you score a lot? The first year I did, yeah, the first year I did really well. In uh, 1976, I was a bit older the second year I went out, and uh, it was harder, but I enjoyed it. And uh, I more than home my own when I was over there, and I realised, you know, that. I, I could have possibly went somewhere else and played at a better level. At the start of the podcast, we asked you how many major honours Jim McLean won as the manager of Dundee United. The answer is three. McLean's first trophy with United was both his and the club's first ever major honour as they defeated Alec Ferguson's Aberdeen 3 0 in a replayed League Cup final at Dens Park in 1979. In 1980, the Terrors retained the League Cup against Dundee and in 1983, McLean led the club to its first and to date only League Championship, where they saw off stiff competition from Aberdeen and Celtic to lift the title. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special, and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay.hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer's Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBrearty. This interview comes from the Scottish Football Museum archive. <laughs>